The opening prayer for Palm Sunday, at the start of Holy Week, begins with Dear Brothers and Sisters, since the beginning of Lent until now we have prepared our hearts by penance and charitable works. Even when Lent hasn't been too bad, that line usually manages to make me feel, well, it could have been better, let alone when my pledges didn't go too well at all. As Lent comes to its conclusion with Easter, it is not unusual to hear similar sentiments from other Catholics. Maybe it was that, but this Easter was probably the first time I was woken to the striking note of grace in all the readings. The liturgy conveys this already in all kinds of ways. I once heard Easter described as a whirlwind or tornado of grace that is released from heaven every year. You can't fail to be hit by it. Over three days, this river of grace floods us, as we make Passover, we pass over, from death to life with Christ. The days of Lent are meant to bring us with our weaknesses, sins and especially our poverty, of being unable to do anything about them, to the foot of the altar. We come poor, but well aware we need help, so that Christ can take us on His Passover. The first hurdle to realize this is the case, is that in English, we call it Easter rather than Pasha or Passover or a variant. Passover is a verb, it denotes movement-Easter is a noun, indicating something static. It is why, turning up just for the vigil or the morning mass to fulfill an obligation without actually passing through the days from Maundy Thursday and Good Friday doesn't do much, ironically, there is no obligation on these days. Maybe it's because it never entered the mind of the church that a Christian would absent him or herself from the Pasha. But having made Pasha, hopefully you also get to hear all seven readings of the Old Testament, yes, seven. Most parishes tend to do only three or four of them, which is allowed, but it's skipping beats on the rhythm of grace that is on a crescendo and coming to its apex in the Easter Eucharist. Hearing them together, as they flow through salvation history, from creation to the cross and the resurrection, you hear it like a symphony, hitting you from all sides. And you quickly see just how little agency is given to the actors on stage. From start to finish, it is God who is always working, mending, making new what we destroy. The first reading is the account of creation, it is of course, God's action, freely done out of love. There is the liberation from Egypt, again, something God initiates and does of His own accord, in spectacular fashion. It will be the blueprint of His action, His work in the lives of all His people across time, down to you and me. There is the exhortation from Isaiah, Come to the waters, you who have no money, come. Dash explicitly calling us in our inability to earn anything God is offering. In case, we are still hesitating, the urging from Baruch, why are you growing old in this miserable state when God has such good things for you in store? My paraphrase, meaning, take this, it's free. And each of them with incredible promises. The promise in another reading from Isaiah, comma your Creator will be your husband, your Redeemer will be the Holy One of Israel. My love for you will never leave you, I will set your stones on carbuncles and your foundations on sapphires, your gates crystal in Ezekiel 36. I shall pour clean water over you, and you will be cleansed, I shall cleanse you of all your defilement and all your idols. I shall give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, I shall remove the heart of stone from your bodies and give you a heart of flesh instead. I shall put my spirit in you, and make you keep my laws and sincerely respect my observances. You will live in the land which I gave your ancestors. You shall be my people and I will be your God. From beginning to end, it is God who works for us, rounded off even from Esa 55, the word that goes from my mouth does not return to me empty, without carrying out my will and succeeding in what it was sent to do. Maybe you're reading this and thinking, but still, surely, we need to cooperate with grace? Yes, we do. But even that is a gift. We see that with the two people we meet in our readings, Moses and Abraham, whom you might have noticed I left out till now. Compared to what God does and the promises given to each of them, what they do seem minimal, 
Abraham stretches out his hand to take the knife to kill Isaac, when he is stopped, just as Moses stretches out his staff, not a coincidence, over the Red Sea in obedience to God. It is God who parts the sea, not Moses. What was required of them was their trust in God in the truly impossible situations they faced. They obeyed, because their whole lives had been one long stretching out, for this very moment. And even that, only God could do, to give us the grace to believe. We see that in black and white as we come to the Gospel. The women come with spices to the tomb, which means, they never believed in the resurrection. It is not because they didn't listen when Jesus spoke of His rising or didn't love Jesus. Far from it, they represent the best of our fallen world. They stood under the cross when everyone fled, their love for Jesus was genuine, their courage, exemplary. Yet, to believe that the one they had seen torn apart and die before them will rise again was humanly impossible. The apostles are worse. They mock the women and refuse to believe them. To believe, is in itself grace. Where do we find this grace? In the church. Here, Christ's sacrifice supplies for all of us. The church provides the grace we cannot provide for ourselves. Yet, in this theodrama, there is one person who does believe from beginning to end, and who truly has agency in her actions and cooperates completely with God from beginning to end. You know who I mean by now, the person we don't encounter in the readings, Mary, the one full of grace. And in her we also see the work of the church, at its source. She is the one who believes and keeps vigil throughout the Passion. Just as she believed the word of the angel at the Nativity, when Zechariah wouldn't believe, so she is the only one who believes in the resurrection and keeps watch for Jesus. Just as she inaugurates God's action at the end of the age, in the Nativity, now she inaugurates the time of the Church at the Resurrection and at Pentecost. Is this just conjecture? Or is it something necessary? It is necessary because God freely took Mary as His ally in the New Testament. She is the woman, the new Eve, the first of the redeemed of Jesus who will be the mother of the Church of Jesus. It is the strong belief, not doctrine, of the Church, that Jesus first appeared to Mary on His rising, even though it is not recorded in the Scriptures. Surely it is odd that Mary, having stood at the cross wouldn't be there with the other women at the tomb? At St. John Paul II taught, her role in the resurrection of Christ was the completion of her mission at the Annunciation, see here. Her mission continues in the Church, for you and for me. Her prayers cover for us, when we are unable to pray or even believe for ourselves. Maybe this Passover seems to have passed you by. Well, maybe it hasn't. This is the beginning of the octave of Easter. Which means that every day of this week is Easter Sunday, carrying with it the graces of the same Sunday. It culminates on Divine Mercy Sunday, which is the fullness of the Easter octave, overflowing with the mercy and love of God, here. Why spend money on what is not bread, your wages on what fails to satisfy? Maybe you're in the depths of distress, or maybe you feel hopeless that your life can't change. There is grace in the church. Christ's sacrifice has paid the price for you. Though you have no money, come. Buy corn without money and eat, at no cost, wine and milk. Thank you.